Hello there and welcome to episode 77 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm really, really excited and grateful to introduce you to Christine Locker on this episode. This was such a rich conversation. Um, I don't use the word wisdom um, excessively, but I really enjoyed this conversation with Christine. Her presence, her grace, it really reminded me of speaking with uh, Meg Pepin, back on episode 40 in terms of that deep presence and that really intentional, beautiful thought process that you can hear going on. Um, a few of the early uh, takeaways that I want to share with you in advance. One was that Christine spoke to the fact that con the connecting element in all of her work is regarding values. Um, she's also released a book called Values Based, which is um, a book that you can read on a short flight. So do give that a, a look or a read or a listen, however you like to uh, digest your content. I particularly enjoyed learning about Christine's core value of wildcard, but I don't want to tell you too much more about that. It's such an unusual value. Um, I'll let you learn more about that in the podcast. I did think it was really helpful that Christine advised that values are a useful way of making big woolly concepts and topics practical. I think that's a really, really powerful reflection. I've seen so many examples, one very recent, of where there's been a complete dis destruction of employee engagement, engagement and buy-in and, yeah, uh, basically just passion for the organisation, whilst not perfect, was at least positive. And it's actually even worse now after the, uh, the senior leadership team introduced or enforced a set of values at one particular organization that just do not align with most of the people. In a, finally, she also said that values help with, am I, uh, am I in the right place with the right people? That's really, really powerful. And I think for me, um, you know, I've really clarified over the last few months that my number two core values are growth and trust. And everything I do, literally everything I do touches one or more of those values. And I have found it definitely to be a really helpful guiding star um, as, as I go about doing my work. So enjoy the conversation. Christine Locker is absolutely amazing. And um, if you don't know her already, please do follow her on Twitter or on social media. And in the meantime, we are always grateful for any feedback you may be kind enough to offer. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I'm really excited to introduce you to Christine Locker, who is an author, coach and leadership consultant and is a really, really cool human being. So welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thank you so much. How are you doing this evening? E evening here in the UK, at least. <laughs> yes, pretty good. Pretty good. I had a an intensive weekend of self-reflection because it was the Jewish New Year or Hashanah, and that's one of the things you do as part of preparing for that holiday and of looking back over the past year and making plans for the new year and so on. So all things I'm kind of excited about in my professional life as well. And now I need to make sure I'm uh, taking my own medicine and uh, that is quite good. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely explore a bit of that with you later on, Christine. Um, as we get going, would you mind letting our listeners know a little bit more about you? So what is it you actually do day to day and what are you really passionate about? Because I think that really gives a bit more insight as to, to who you are. Yes. Yeah, so things I do on a day to day basis. Oof. 
<laughs> a lot, <laughs> probably a little too much if I'm honest sometimes. I think key aspects are, um, so I work with individuals, which is work I enjoy a lot, in, often in a coaching capacity. I also work with organizations, usually in times of change or in times of rapid growth or in times of startups when they're setting up shop. And the connecting element of all of this is really working with values. Mm -hmm. And I also write quite a lot and produce a lot of content. Um, the content work is really because, well, first of all, I was a journalist in my previous career before I started doing uh, L&D stuff. So I think quite a lot of that is still itching. But also I think not everyone gets learning and development or leadership development from work. Not everyone can afford a coach or wants one or, you know, it might not quite be the right time for that. But I think everybody should have at least some tools and methods to get started or to get support on their personal journey. That's something that I, I would have wanted in my 20s or, you know, earlier in my life and didn't quite have the same resources. So now I'm hoping to be able to help some other people with that as well. Lovely. And where does that values piece come for you out of interest? Um, obviously, you've written about that as well. And I've read some of your wonderful articles about values as well. So there's a really golden thread there in your work, Christine. I'm just wondering, how did that come about? Has it always been something from a young age um, that values have mattered to you? Is it something that's evolved as you've sort of got older and uh, more experienced? I think I probably had quite strong values growing up, although I would not have been able to name it like that. Mm. Um, I think if I'm looking back at sort of family and, and first group of people that influenced me, they all had really, really strong principles about certain things, some of which I agreed with, some of which I didn't. Also, that's the job of a teenager, and I think I did that pretty well. <laughs> I think a lot of it was really about supporting growth and education. So a lot of family members work in education in some shape or form. And for me, that was always key. I never wanted to become a teacher because I think I, I, that's probably not the right place for me to be. But kind of this, this idea of, you know, helping someone grow and so on was quite um, interesting. There were also quite a few things in the family that were never spoken about that uh, sort of baggage that has been, you know, passed on from generation to generation and at some point I observed that and I realized look I don't think I want to you know go through all of that and then pass it on to the next generation because that's a bit unfair so I got really interested in psychology and dynamics and so on mm -hmm. and um, and I think that was also a big influence and then kind of values specifically came up for me for the first time. I did a leadership program in my 20s, basically as I was wrapping up uni and then trying to figure out what to do next. And that program was quite intense. It was uh, with an NGO, they're called WISE, um, World Youth Service and Enterprise. And they run leadership programs for kind of young people, often with sort of a social entrepreneurship angle in some shape, shape or form. And that was very sort of, you know, go out into the wilderness and find your purpose kind of thing, which was amazing, which was really, it felt like that was sort of the, I guess, the initiation into adulthood, 
that mm -hmm. I kind of needed. So I felt like I had properly sort of landed in myself and in the world after that. And values played a really key part. And for me, it was a really useful, useful way of making sort of really big woolly concepts practical. Because if you think about, you know, topics like purpose or like vocation or like a calling or, you know, these really, really big topics where, you know, you imagine the sunset sky and the violin soundtrack and all of that. <laughs> It's really nice while it happens, but then, you know, you wake up on a rainy Tuesday morning and the train is late and so on. And it's really difficult to keep, to keep the big thing going and to sort of stitch it into your reality. And I found values are quite useful because everybody has them. It helps to be conscious of them or a bit more conscious of them. People tend to, kind of live them out loud anyways, to a certain extent. So, you know, very often if, if people start thinking about their values and then they tell their team or their partner very often, they say, yeah, of course, you know, it's sort of, um, it's very often not that big of a surprise. It's a good angle to look at fulfillment because again, it gives you a couple of practical things to look at where you can then identify, you know, what's, what's working so far, what, what could you do more of, and so on. It also helps with sort of, am I in the right place with the right people? So sometimes people, you know, the organization might have, might have good aspirations and all of that, but the, the culture and how they go about it might just not gel with who you are and how you are. And then I think values can also be a good way of identifying that. And what, what would you say, you know, if you don't mind me asking, Christine, what are your values that matter most to you? So if you're going to pick those sort of one or two personal core values that have held you on your path, what, what, what are those for you just out of interest? I think there is a, a core set that mm -hmm. has been fairly stable over the past few years. There is one that has something to do with success and drive and achievement, mm -hmm. not sort of devoid of anything else. For me, that's more kind of an, an enabler, but there is a, a very high voltage that needs to go somewhere. And that's quite useful if used in the right way. Um, the other one is, I've ended up calling it wildcard because I did an, an exercise in, a, in, a, um, in some kind of a workshop and there were lots and lots of different values I had and they wanted us to cluster it down to just three or five or I can't even remember. And they had those pre-made cards and one of the cards was called wildcard and the idea was obviously that you would use that and write something else on it. And I thought wildcard is actually quite correct. <laughs> so for me, for me, the wild card value embodies things like creativity, breaking boundaries, pattern recognition, and then doing something else with it. Um, also things like when you notice something to be hopefully brave enough to have conversations that need having. So all of that sits underneath the, the wild card frame. And then I think the, the third one that's quite important is around craftsmanship. 
and that's been something that was really that's really from from childhood and in the family and and always i think um this whole idea that if you do something you do it properly and the respect also for people who make stuff you can touch i sometimes feel like i'm running a powerpoint factory but you know if you have a really well-made table or someone makes a really awesome pastry or you know brews fabulous beer or you know like all these things um i think that's really really important and i think people really undervalue that and and that's very sad so yeah craftsmanship is quite important for me as well I, I love that. I just really love how you've got these really unique values as well. Cause a lot of people can go, yeah, it's X or it's Y, but like that you can, you can hear in your voice and I can see in you, Christine, the depth of which those values or those behaviors matter to you. And that's really, really nice to see and sort of hear and feel because it can be quite a box ticking exercise, even values if it's in the wrong environment, can't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's partly why I started going deeper on that and started building my, my own things in that place. Because I think a lot of leadership programs and so on, they, it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, values is important and we have a two day offsite and values is like 45 minutes at 11 on the first morning or something like that. And you know, then people do something with cards or I don't know, and then they identify some values and, you know, share it with their neighbor and so on and blah, and it all feels reasonably good, warm, fuzzy feelings, you know, and so on and so on. But then literally nothing happens with it afterwards. You know, if you ask people on the train home, so what, we, what were your values then? Then they're like, um, yeah, and then maybe they remember them or maybe they don't. And it remains completely inconsequential. And I think that's really, really sad. It's really interesting because I probably until about a year ago had four values that mattered to me, which were collaboration, communication, trust and growth. And I really do internalize all of those. But I read um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead recently. And it's a really powerful exercise where she speaks to the fact of pick just two. What are the two that you'll basically take a bullet for? And it was a really good exercise for me to work through and go, actually, I've got these four but what are the two that actually I would take a bullet for? And it was absolutely growth and trust. Mm. And it doesn't mean that communication and collaboration aren't important to me. They're just the ones that are secondary. And I just think it is such a real awakening for me to go, oh, okay, that's what matters to me. And I just think it gives you that much more focus when you can really sort of hanker down on those, on those values. I think that's really key because there are so many things we all could be doing mm. and so many things that other people think we should be doing. And, you know, the to-do list is a mile and a half long and nobody honestly is able to implement any, you know, any of that. You probably won't make it past your first few line items anyway. So it helps to make them good ones that actually move, move stuff. And I think the other thing is I often ask people because everyone now, nowadays probably has a to-do list because, you know, we've all done productivity trainings and time management and we all try and squeeze out even more out of our 24 hours that we get by the way everybody gets 24 hours it might look differently but that's that's probably the one thing that's equally distributed for absolutely everyone um and then 
Yeah, so sometimes I ask people if they have a to-be list instead of a to-do list. Mm. So I can definitely recommend that as an exercise for a quiet afternoon. So do you mind speaking a little bit more about that? So what is the intention there and what's been the maybe impact for you or people that you serve around moving or getting people to really engage with that to-be list? I think people are incredibly focused about measurable output and a lot less on how they go about doing it and what it does to them and what it does to everyone else around them. Mm -hmm. Just because it's less, you know, you can't really stick a probe in and say, oh, I've upped this by two of something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think people really forget the being and that's where a lot of the interesting stuff happens. I think that's where connections happen. I think that's also where people check in with themselves again. So for example, I deliberately stayed off Twitter and social media for the duration of Rosh Hashanah. And that was incredibly difficult because as you know, I basically live on Twitter. <laughs> and it was just really nice to be with myself and then, you know, the community and so on and not have that constant input, the constant reminders, the constant yeah, so I have I have written a to-do list for stuff I need to do after the holidays and I've put it, you know, face down on the desk so I didn't see it during the time. And I only had the, you know, the timing of the, the service and what to bring on separate post-its so I didn't need to open anything. Um, and it was really nice. You know, like that's the sort of, yeah, just not not having to mess with things. Because I think with the doing, you go in and you immediately start rearranging the furniture, basically, on yourself, your flat, your apartment, your life, everybody else's life, probably even more on everybody else's life, because that's usually a lot easier. And we have really clear ideas where stuff needs to go. And you, I think there's a lot of value in just looking and absorbing and being before you start moving things around. It's really, it really is a powerful statement you're making because some of the things I've experienced the last 18 months, again, for my own growth, Christine, around presencing and trusting that, you know, our insights will arise or ideas will arise. You know, I, I cannot remember a single time in my life where me doing a 12 hour day has resulted in the best creativity or the best innovations. It's always been when I've been running or in the, in the shower or going for a walk that's always where the insight comes from never when i've had my nose against the the grindstone <laughs> yeah very true i'm nodding heavily which is obviously not audible but yes <laughs> <laughs> so so what do you think it is if you think about the work that you do or maybe you know some of the, the client work that you do christy is there something around giving oneself permission to be versus do and what's going on there for people in your opinion I think a lot of people I work with are kind of at a decision point, but it's not quite clear yet what the decision even is. 
So very often there is already quite a bit of discomfort. So they know that how things are currently isn't, isn't quite how they want them to be, but it's not quite clear yet what the, what the bits are that, that could be moving. It's also often not clear how big the change actually needs to be. You know, is the answer, I'll quit my job, have my pension plan paid out and open a surf shop at the beach? Maybe, probably not for most people. It might well be, I actually keep the job I have because it's, you know, it does what it needs doing and maybe there are other things that need addressing. Or it could be, I'm doing what I'm doing, but maybe in a completely different organization or there is a hobby that's growing and growing that might turn into sort of a main gig. I think there's lots and lots of different ways this can go. And at the same time, it's, I think if I, if I'm thinking about the doing versus being, I think people are often limited by the script they have, you know, Oh, I'm a chartered accountant and it was really expensive to get all the training and it's, you know, a great career to have. Would I throw that away now? You know, the whole sunk cost fallacy type of thing. Or, you know, oh, I have a degree in X. I need to be working in that field. Or, oh, I work for that company and other people would probably give a couple of fingers to be able to work for that company, even though I secretly hate it. You know, it's people... It's sometimes, I, th I think some of these commitments then take on a life of their own. Some of these commitments are also not, not even real. You know, it's sort of a, a script that we keep running or that keeps running us. And we just kind of got checking in with, with that occasionally. Yeah. So. I, I, honestly, I'm absolutely buzzing and grinning as you talk about this. Because I just remember my... <laughs> how much I used to live with that victim mindset of I don't have a choice. And I think what you just so beautifully spoke to was we've got loads of options always. However, do we have the accountability or the courage to follow through on the one that our heart most wants us to do? Yeah. And also I think it's not, you know, people often think it's sort of a zero sum either or I can only be this or I can only be that. And I think people can be lots of different things at the same time. I also think it's probably wise. I mean, depending on your financial situation and support system, I guess, um, to, to make, to think through big changes. So not everybody might, it might not be a good idea for everybody to quit their job the next Monday and then kind of run off and do a bit of soul searching for a year. If you can do that, that's maybe not a bad idea, but most people probably can't. And then it helps to know where the, some of the basic safety fence posts are. Cause I think if, I think we talk a lot about, Oh yeah. And you need to get out of your comfort zone and all of that. But, it's also, I think, once you're too far out of your comfort zone, then stuff can go wrong, you know, sort of adult life sort of then can sometimes fall apart a little bit. And then you spend 10 years mopping up the spillage rather than actually building your next new thing. And that's not always particularly helpful. That's also not what 
your Instagram people will tell you, because that's obviously not what you see. You see all the bits that are working. And I think it does help when you're making changes to make a realistic plan that fits in with your life, but that's also motivating enough to keep you going. Interesting. Cool. So, so many, so many other things to ask. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a random segue because I like to do this sometimes. For any, for those that may be new to meeting you today, or who are joining our conversation, or maybe even those that know you, where did you learn seven languages, Christine? Because I find that amazing. Like to be speaking Asian languages, European languages, you really have a gift. And I just want to know if that's something that. You, you always enjoyed languages from a young age, or is it just a gift that you knew you had, therefore you just maximized it? How did you get into all of these variety of languages? Because I just find it amazing. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of all of that. So um, I always knew I wanted to travel and wasn't really able to as much as a child. I also wasn't happy in the place I was living in and wanted to make changes. So I was sort of fantasizing myself away as far as possible. And then I thought, well, in order to make that happen, the, the more languages I speak, the more likely it's going to be that I'll find some way of, of making something out of that. I also really, really love alphabets and writing systems for some geeky reason. <laughs> Um, I remember as a child just sitting there making up different alphabets, learning different alphabets, you know, tracing different letters of different writing system, collecting, you know, food wrapping with foreign writing on it and so on. Now, mind you, you know, now I live in London, which is a global metropolis and there's the internet and all of that. I might be dating myself, but um, <laughs> that's not, that's not what I had available as, as a child. So I just basically started collecting everything that was, you know, I, I remember um, we had a family in holiday, a holiday to Italy coming up and my dad bought one of those holiday phrase book Italian in 30 days. And then, you know, his plan was to do maybe, you know, two lessons a week or something like that in the lead up to the holiday to be able to buy ice cream and, and, and all of that. And I sort of filched, filched the book off his desk and sort of disappeared with it and came back like in lesson seven. And he was just slightly panicky looking because that only took a couple of hours. And that was, you know, what he thought he'd be doing sort of on the side in a couple of weeks. Mind you, my dad is a language teacher. So, you know, it's not like, <laughs> but um, I think that scared him a little. And um, yeah, so English, um, progressed pretty quickly because he was actually teaching English. So I basically got, you know, got all his books off his desk and just sort of blazed through them. And other languages, I just, yeah, used, used every opportunity basically. And I then thought the logical thing for me would be to study languages or linguistics. But then I got sort of career counseling and so on as you, as you get when you're finishing A-levels and so on. And they pretty much discouraged me and said, look, that's not something you can get a job with. And given that you don't want to be a school teacher, um, 
there's basically nothing else to do. And then they say, well, occasionally some people with that sort of background then open health food shops. And I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> not something I had planned. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, obviously, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what I had in mind studying languages. And they also said, look, you don't have the social background to be a diplomat. So they made it pretty clear that the few other options um, weren't really options. Now, I grew up in, in the total countryside, basically, which is also why I wanted to get away, because that, that always felt way too narrow. So the fact that I did A-levels as a girl was already pretty revolutionary. You know, like I remember people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you're pretty good with languages. That'll be amazing because you can be a receptionist for an international company. Nobody said you can be a global manager or you can be, I don't know, you know, that, that's literally where it stopped in people's minds. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I basically did something else instead and kept the languages going on the side. And I just kind of keep, keep collecting and then made other things happen. So, you know, I went, I went to Ecuador to learn Spanish. I got myself onto a, um, onto a program to study Japanese. So I did that and yeah, lots, lots and lots of other ones. And very often it has to do either with a place I'm interested in or people I met or a culture I'm interested in or something like that. So English is less of a sort of love marriage in terms of languages, even though I do like it a lot, but that's more of a necessity to be able to work in an international setting. But most of the others that are maybe a little less sort of driven by you know, by those sort of practical considerations. That's really just the, the sheer joy and curiosity of it. It's really interesting. You just took my next reflection out of my mouth, Christine, which was that curiosity that just really jumps out to me, that you are deeply, deeply curious about languages, about people, around how these complex systems operate. And would you say that you're quite a big, a big picture thinker? Yes, yes, absolutely. To the point where sometimes people have a really hard time following me because in my mind, it all makes sense how you get from one to the other and it's all connected and very often people don't see it at all um, or, or see it later or, you know, after 10 minutes of trying to draw it out, then it, it kind of starts working. But, but yes, definitely. That's, that's so interesting. It's certainly something I've been uh, challenged with as well, is that you know, we've all got our different skills, but I've definitely got that same thing as you, which is I can go, okay, there's three years ahead. There's the vision. That's what we need to do to get there. Let's just do it. And I've actually, probably one of my negative development areas in the past has been my impulsiveness. Like, I can see the end. Let's just go and do it now. And you've got like, this trail of people going, how are you going to do it? Don't worry about the how, just do it. And it's sort of like, so that's one of my big development areas is actually that reining in the impulsiveness if you're going to talk think about your own development areas the last few years has there been a particular area that you've particularly focused on um as christine hmm. there doesn't have to have been it's just uh just, just as we're talking yeah i think i think finding the balance between stuff i'm just really really curious about that's, you know, just a hobby or a passing interest or a topic of the week 
and things that are actually that are actually big and long term enough to possibly explore if that might turn into something mm -hmm. and i don't think i always have that balance right i'd like to think i'm getting better at it so you know i allow myself sort of you know r d and random scanning time and money you know where i can just go off and do stuff and either it'll lead to new insights and inspiration or it just was an interesting time and that's fine too um, so i do that and i do have a, a bigger vision where i'd love to see a lot of these key strands come together which might or might not happen and it might or might not make sense for anybody else but that's okay sounds yeah, like i think yeah I think the other thing, which is, um, I guess, the counterpart to that is, well, I guess managing my own dichotomies is another really big one. Yeah, so the counterpart to what I just said is um, keeping things stable enough without needing to or wanting to change things. Because I've had um, the past few years were quite turbulent in many different ways. And I'm at the moment, because I think a lot of people are in the situation where stuff's really stable and they're bored out of their minds. And then are looking to make change. And for me, things have been a lot more volatile than I would have wanted them to be. And my practice is now to get some, you know, structures, procedures, basic things in place and to get them in place in a way that they don't sort of crumble and fall apart again after a few weeks. And that's not a problem I had before. Mm -hmm. It sounds like if I'm looking back at my life in the past, you know, 15, 20 years, it probably sounds like a good skill to have. And very often I feel, I feel very new at it, or I feel like I was really good in my twenties and then other stuff happened. And now I'm sort of, trying to thread back into that and at the same time it feels really really boring because i'd rather do the you know the shiny sparkly <laughs> cool stuff um but also i need to do and also i need to do the other things to keep keep the space for the sparkly cool stuff and to be able to sleep at night so all, all of that needs to needs to happen it's, it's so interesting isn't it i, I just it's, it's, we're, we're very similar, you and I, Christine, in our own ways. Very, very different, but very similar. I, I find that fascinating. Um, in terms of the book that you wrote, Values Based, I'm interested to know, how was that for you as Christine as a writing experience? What were the sort of, maybe some of the highs, and maybe what are some of the challenges around writing a book? Because I've got, I've, I feel I've got one in me somewhere. I don't know when it's going to come out, but uh, <laughs> I think there's something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that book is almost a bit often... A lucky accident because I hadn't initially planned to write that okay. I have a, a big book in the works that's going to come out next year and I knew that that was going to be delayed as I was writing it for for a number of different reasons and I got really massively frustrated um, at the same time as other things were going on I kept for a while a practice of blogging at least once or twice a week in a way that was topically related 
So I had over a hundred blog posts and sort of a couple of half ready things. And last, uh, last year, sort of over the Christmas break, I took a couple of days off and went to Scotland, which is where I often go if I need thinking time. And also there's, there's lots of nice long train rides. And if you have a table, I find for writing that that works really, really well. And I remember I was so frustrated and annoyed and I, cause, cause it felt like nothing was moving. And then I went through all the stuff I had produced so far and realized that there was something that was sort of ready enough with a bit of work. So I basically just, just kind of blazed through all of that in four or five days and realized that that was probably enough for a small book in its own right. Also, people had been asking me, well, you know, what sorts of things happen in a coaching session? And I realized that a lot of the stuff that's in the book is similar to things I'd be doing in a coaching session. So it's almost like a taster. And it's also something people can do when there's not someone else around. So good, good ways of kind of getting the journey started. And then I thought, well, if, if that's sort of almost ready, I should probably just get, get that out. And I did. Yeah. So that's, that's out now. The biggest, yeah, it's, um, it's small, but perfectly formed. If I may say so myself, it's, um, the beauty of it is it's really something you can read on a short flight or, you know, reasonably you know, train ride and really get, get started on doing stuff. You also don't need to read the entire book to get started. You can just sort of go to a point where you find something mm -hmm. that tickles you and then start implementing the focus. The book is very conversational. So if people want footnotes, I have them, but they're not in the book because that wasn't the point. The point was really to sort of, I guess it's a mix of a, a pep talk when people need it as well as practical things to do. I wanted to keep it really, really practical so people can, you know, not just think about it and it sounds nice and feels good, but that it actually starts moving stuff. It's so cool. What I really like about what you just explained is that you had the, a little bit of courage, I suppose, but that you had enough of a book that you put it out. Whereas some people, particularly if they're creative um, can hold on until it's perfect yeah so for you to put it out with enough detail or feeling that there was enough content I think it's really cool because you don't always hear about that you normally what you know we hear about the stories of perfection or you had to be absolutely perfect and you lost a year of your life or so it, it, it sounds to me you had a bit of courage just to put out where you were at that time yeah I think I was I think with the big book, the one about decision making, I'm probably more in the perfectionist camp. And then I realized that that just takes a really long time. Also, the scope of the, the bigger book is slightly different. But I also, f I, I wanted the book to be a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you don't put it out, you're not starting the conversations, so obviously nothing, you know, it, it stops before it starts. And I remember it was, you know, Q1 and it was, the weather was really dreary and it was really dark and I was sitting at my desk and, you know, I was just so annoyed with everything that I thought, okay, I'll just, you know, start shipping things. Yeah. 
Cool. Very cool. Well, as we start to wrap up, Christine, I'm really interested. I, I ask this question on occasion and as who or what is inspiring you personally right now? It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. I'm just wondering what's really giving you energy and, and, and keeping you positive right now. It can be anything. Mm. I think any any forms of human expression really I think it comes back to the the wild card the craftsmanship and all of that so any ways people find find a way of taking what's inside of them and bringing it out you know, whether that's a new craft beer creation, whether that's a book, whether that's, you know, something somebody has just come up with, an idea, you know, at any of these things. I, I really respect people who are brave to bring things out because I think that's, yeah, it, it does take bravery, but also you can't, you know, the good stuff, if you keep them on the inside, it's really sad for everyone. Mm. So I think if more people were brave enough to start shipping things and to also appreciate each other for doing that, I think that would be a much different experience because I think people often go to the 2% that are missing and completely forget the fact that 98% are actually there. And I think if we could all help each other to do that, and I think you're fabulous, by the way, with the work you're doing. You are such a fabulous cheerleader for everyone. And I think that's great. And I also think, for example, that the Twitter community that we met through is, is also a really great example of people just sharing and caring and, and kind of helping, helping each other or amplifying good, good news and all of that. And I think if we could do more of that, that would really make a difference. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love you using the word amplifying as well. I think, yeah, that's something I've really, I, I always give a shout out to Helen Amory from mm -hmm. Wild Fig Salute because she was the one that introduced me to Twitter five years ago now. I sound like a, a right old fart now, Christine. But, um, you know, it's, it's been amazing. You know, for anybody, you know, I'm quite vocal about this personally. For anyone that thinks that social media is out and out negative, I would love them to get involved with some of our Twitter conversations, to get involved with some of our conversations like this because i do genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that technology like we're using right now has the potential to reconnect humanity on mass i really really do yeah i think it's it's one of those things it it amplifies everything that's there mm. so if that's stress and negativity you get more of that and if it's the other the good stuff then you also get more of that and i think that's great Choose wisely, we're saying, aren't we? Choose yeah. wisely. <laughs> I also think it does have genuinely the, the potential to democratize access to different things. Mm. And I think initially we had probably hoped that the internet was going to do some of that. I think some of it has worked and some of it hasn't. But I think Twitter in many ways allows you to tap into conversations between people or groups of people or back channels of conferences or any of that, where you might not quite be at the stage yet where you'd be there in person, but you can at least kind of start and feel out the topics, 
possibly approach people. I find people are quite approachable on Twitter, actually, even people that that are, you know, rightfully big names in their fields. And I think that's amazing. So I think if people are doing it right, it's it's really genuinely social and it can it can really do that. That's beautiful. What a lovely way to uh, to finish up. How can people get hold of you? What's the best best medium? Clearly Twitter. So maybe you'd like to share your Twitter handle, Christine. Yes. Otherwise. So Twitter handle is Christine Locker. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. Locker, L-O-C-H-E-R. Or christinelocker.me. That's the website. And then also LinkedIn and so on and so on. But if, if you see me on Twitter or if you have the website, that's how you get everything else. That's amazing. Well, I'll make sure they're attached to the show notes and we will be speaking again. Absolute joy to speak to you, Christine. Thanks very much for, for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Wow, 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 is all I can say to that conversation. Um, I really hope you, the listener, enjoyed this discussion between myself and Christine Locker. I would really, really love to hear what you took away. Um, but in case it aids your reflection, and thank you so much for joining us both um, today, um, a few of the things I took away were that Christine spoke that often people are limited by the script that they have. And she referenced this sunk cost fallacy um with regards to you know whether it's been we've got a degree or we've done so many years within a particular role and that all of a sudden we believe that somehow there's something else coming on the horizon that we can't quite foresee at the moment and therefore let's just keep staying with the status quo and i think it really reminds me of uh, Brené brown's work around the stories that we tell ourselves and indeed it's part of a, a keynote talk i'm going to be giving in a couple of weeks at the ignite conference in st garland around the stories we tell ourselves so what, is there anything that you're telling yourself at the moment, if you're listening to these reflections, that is untrue or maybe that's holding you back from stepping into your power? Something that's worth thinking about. I also absolutely love when Christine spoke about the fact that do people have a to-be list as well as a to-do list? This just speaks so powerfully to the fact that we are still so heavily dominated by having to justify and quantify everything that we do rather than giving space to the more qualitative aspects of life um just really interested to know if that resonates with you as much as it resonates with me so what if we actually created the space the intentional space to just be whether that's to go for a walk whether that's to read you know it's not to have to do anything it's just to create the space to allow our mind to wander and that is always i'm pretty sure you would agree where the insight um, insight emerges from Another comment I thought was fantastic is when Christine spoke to the fact that there are so many things we could all be doing and so many things other people think we should be doing. Such a powerful reflection. And, you know, when we think about the stories we tell ourselves, you know, a lot of this for me is around a expectation management. So are we being as honest with ourselves and with those that we work and serve? So there's something around integrity there. And also around energy versus time management, I hear this phrase an awful lot at the moment. I do know my good friend Perry Timms um, is doing a lot of work around energy at the moment. And I think just this awareness, just again, to get stopped, to get present and just realise, you know, are we doing the things that feed our soul? Back to that point about values. Are we clear on what our values are and are the things that we're doing aligning or at least touching those values such that we do not get too out of alignment? Something to think about there if you're listening. 
Uh, my final reflection is that we don't always need to mess with things, Christine references. Doing tends to lead to moving the furniture straight away. And I absolutely love that image. I've got a really visceral image in my head of coming home straight from work and going, oh, it's all a bit of a mess in here. I want to change it. And then just moving all the furniture around and then coming back an hour later and going, actually, I really don't like that. How do we have it before? I actually preferred it how it was in the past. Um, so, you know, what are you doing in your own life, whether it be at work or even in your personal life, where actually you feel the need to change or move things around without actually being conscious as to why you're doing that? So they're just a few of the takeaways I took away from this. I absolutely love Christine's presence and her grace. I, I know I say it a lot, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm grateful to have her in our network to call her a friend. And I would love for you to connect with her as well. And you can find all of her contact details in the show notes of this podcast. And if you want to contact me, you can find me at Gary Turner Zero. That's Gary with two R's on Twitter. You can find me at the listening organization, one word.co.uk. Or you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And until next time, if you did enjoy this conversation, she and I would greatly receive any feedback and I would greatly receive any feedback on the podcast app as well. Uh, until next time, this is episode 77 with Christine Locker. Thank you.